you're listening to another episode of a lady and some dudes podcast thank you for listening to another episode of a lady and some dudes podcast we will now have our grateful moment evan yes uh so uh, my grateful moment is this week, my son, yes, on Friday, my son turned eight years old. And so um, as I have four boys and they all continue to grow, I'm thankful that even amidst everything going on in our nation, that my kids are still able to grow and reach milestones. All right, Philip, what are you grateful for? Well, I'm grateful for my girls and especially my oldest and my youngest one actually starting to pick up a basketball and taking training a little seriously. So um, I look forward to seeing them par- uh, participate this year in high school and middle school basketball. So that's, that's what I'm grateful for. Just doing things that, you know, they enjoy and taking it a little more seriously in their craft. What about you, Kelvin? It's crazy. I'm seeing the theme every time we do this because mine is my family too. This week, my wife had a birthday, um, and my dad, they got the same birthday on the 24th. So it was a blessing um, that, you know, despite what's going on, we were able to get together at the house and cut the cake and just have a great time with the family. So I'm thankful, and I'm grateful for that. Great, great. And my grateful moment is I actually accepted a new position this week. Um, As you guys know, I am a prosecutor, I am a fiery litigator in the courtroom, and um, I actually had the opportunity to go in-house counsel for a a big healthcare company here in Charlotte. Um, It's something that God actually created for me and pushed me into that position. It wasn't something that I was seeking, Um, but it is a huge blessing. It is a big transition in my career. And I'm just really, really thankful um, that God is opening doors every day. Um, We are going to jump right into our show today. And we are going to start by speaking about something very, very important, which is voting. And I feel like I need to just give um, a brief historical account of voting and Black people in our country. So in 1870, the 15th Amendment gave Black men the right to vote. However, that right came with many stipulations that actually suppressed that right. For instance, there were requirements of poll taxes and literacy tests, effectively disenfranchising the vast majority of Black men. Now, I know you're saying she only said Black men. That's because women did not get the right to vote until 1920. Um, Black women faced the same issues that I just mentioned um, that African-American males face. It was not until 1965 and the passing of the Voting Rights Act that we as Black people had the unequivocal right to vote with no stipulations, no strings attached. We're talking about merely 55 years ago, 55 years ago. So I really need that to sink in for you. Fast forward to today, and we are seeing how imperative it is to vote. To all of our listeners out there, if you are not registered to vote, please, please, we're begging you, 
do so now. It is detrimental for you not to. Recognizing the importance of voting, LeBron James in conjunction with other athletes and stars starting a voting rights group. This is a push not only to get our people out to the polls to vote, but to address and combat issues of voter suppression. And so we're gonna talk a little bit about LeBron's um, initiative today. I will say that I am all for it. One of the things that I know that I like and respect about LeBron, I give him a hard time on the court. I give him a hard time about his basketball leadership at times. But when we start looking at his initiatives off the court for our community, um, it's undeniable that um, the work he does is profound, it is impactful, and it is necessary. And so I'm very excited that he has decided to use his vast platform to bring issues, um, issues of voting to the front lines. Um, let us go ahead and see how the guys feel about this initiative from LeBron. And we'll start with Evan. So uh, much like you, I, I agree. I, I, I kind of, as a player, sometimes LeBron just irks me. But as a social activist, as someone who uses his platform, I have so much appreciation for what he's doing, especially because I believe it was around 2013 or, or so, you know, the, the Supreme Court kind of struck down the Civil Rights Voting Act, right? You, you kind of see that there's been a, a walking back of protections been in place for voter suppression in part because they believe well you know well they not believe but said that you know race is much less of an issue now we don't need to keep the same protections in place but we're seeing right now we saw this past election how voter suppression was taking place and so i think it is essential i think it is necessary because athletes are role models i know charles barkley believes uh, he's not a role model, but athletes are role models. They set the standards and they are leaders. And so it's great to have an athlete who, who, who kind of bucked against the whole system, didn't go to college, demonstrate political consciousness and the awareness to, to, to portray the importance of voting. And at the end of the day, we got to get this man out of office. The things he's doing in this nation during this time, he has not helped during the pandemic. He's hurt during the pandemic. He has not defended the rights and the uh, experiences of the black marginalized or the brown marginalized communities. Instead, he's gotten behind white supremacists and white supremacy. There, he deleted a tweet today in, that was in the background, someone saying white power. And so we need more black athletes to not be Michael Jordan on the court and, and, uh, and uh, Clarence Thomas on politics. We need more athletes who uh, have no problem demonstrating political activism. And this is a necessary move because we need to get out and vote and get the right type of leadership in office to right this ship before uh, Donald Trump himself may usher in the second coming of Jesus Christ <laughs> if he doesn't stop what he's doing. Thanks. Absolutely. And, and you, you made valid points. It's like everyone wants to be the GOAT on the court. That title belongs to Michael Jordan. Um, and then be Uncle Tom 
when it comes to political issues. So I, I think it's definitely relevant um, and very powerful that, that LeBron has consistently used his platform. This is just his latest initiative, but he has consistently used his platform um, to speak out against issues. Kelvin, how do you feel about it? <clears throat> well, I feel um, everybody loves LeBron James. Uh, um, even you, Dion. You either love LeBron James. <laughs> you either love to love him or you love to hate him. Either one. Everybody loves LeBron James. And what I think about him, I just think about, especially with this, is that LeBron's the throwback. You think about the likes of uh, Jim Brown, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Muhammad Ali. Um, he's just taking a mantle from those guys, and I really, really appreciate him. It makes me like him even more. I really love that about LeBron. And especially right here, what he's doing with this initiative, it's really powerful because whether we know it or not, LeBron is speaking to those black folks that don't vote. You know, a lot of his fan bases, these hood guys um, that will never uh, you know, cast their vote in and never catch them at the ballot or the booth. <clears throat> so I think it's really important for him to stand up and, uh, you know, spark this initiative just for those reasons alone. In our community, we have a problem with trusting um, the political parties, we got a problem with, with trusting the police. We got we got all types of pro different problems. But when you have somebody like LeBron James come in and promote it and push it and show how important it is, you know, you got a whole different audience that wasn't voting that's now listening. So I, you know, I just commend him. You know, he's just continuing his legacy to be the goat off the court, not on the court, like you said. But he, that title is already MJ's. But I, you know. My hat's off, you know, and I really appreciate LeBron for this effort. Yes, and and emphasis off the court, just so our oh, listeners aren't here we go. off the court. <laughs> <laughs> now, Phil, um, give me your thoughts and perspectives on this. So I I guess we're going to be all consistent agree. I do agree that LeBron did a great thing and that his whole, whole organization is to inspire African-Americans to register to vote and cast ballots. And the most important thing is that um, is the general elections is really where we really need to be because um, we all know that the president is voted in by how he's voted by electoral voting, right? So that's someone else assigned or a group of people assigned to trust um, to vote on the behalf of the people. So the way real power is, is through the Senate, through the low elections where we put people who actually fight for us and and stand up for us and thus put pressure on the president to do uh, to do the things that's right or just so um i think this is a great initiative and then i support 100 percent. and that yes we do need to vote we could cry about it or only show up sometime for what the presidential but not stand up for the the, the, the judges uh um sheriffs uh you know general elections those who's around us and then senate seats and those things which are very important who plays the role of lawmaking and how things are done in our community and those around us so this initiative is excellent and like i agree he is the goat off the floor he is he is he's the modern day uh, muhammad ali he's a modern day uh kareem abdul jabbar meaning that and jim brown meaning that they've taken up arms and educate and where his pockets are so deep he don't have to worry about the effects like most athletes has in the past where they could take away. He's actually on Forbes magazine, um, one of the great influence, I believe it was Forbes that came out. He's a great influence in this sport. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely can't be taken for granted. And um, while, as we all kind of said collectively, while I'm not choosing LeBron in the fourth quarter of a finals game, I am choosing LeBron off the court to put issues in the forefront and to advocate on behalf of our community. So I can respect that. Um, just wanted to provide a little bit of context to our listeners about voting, voter suppression. I don't know if you guys heard, but in Kentucky, they actually closed all polling sites and sent 600,000 African-Americans to vote at one polling site. And essentially what that did is you had people waiting for hours on hours on hours only to be told the polling site is now closed. So those are some of the things that LeBron's initiative is hoping to address as well. Like it's more than just, hey, get out and vote. Um, he's trying to put things in place that would actually address those inequities in voting. So really, really dope. Let's talk about our current climate. Now we're not oblivious as to what is going on. Uh, we know we've been having the protests. We have the major cases of George Floyd's case, Rashard Brooks. Um, we're still hoping for justice for Breonna Taylor. And we can say that this climate is wrought with issues of prejudice, issues of discrimination. These are issues that are being um, brought to the forefront. What we have seen in the past weeks as well is that if you are Black in this country, even if you are a famous athlete, you are not exempt um, from feeling the tinges of discrimination and racism. Bubba Wallace, who is the only African-American NASCAR driver, discovered that there was a noose um, in his garage. And the question that the FBI grappled with was whether or not this was a hate crime. Um, just because I'm a lawyer, I feel like I have to give you guys the legal definition of what a hate crime is. And it is a crime to use or threaten to use force to willfully interfere with any person because of race, color, religion, or national origin. Based on that definition and based on what the FBI uncovered in their investigation, it is my opinion that this was not a hate crime. And what lends me to that determination is really the proximity of time. The investigation uncovered that the news apparently was there since last August or September, at least nine months, I believe. And I kind of feel because the news was there, I don't know if we could have known that you know, that Bubba Wallace was going to get that garage. Um, the time factor for me is what takes this out of the purview of a hate crime. Now, I know I may get some opposition to that from my team. So um, let's see what the team has to say. Philip, what is your opinion on that? It's a noose, it's a noose, it's a noose. Bubba even stated on first take that that noose, he'd never seen it before. And most door handlers, excuse me, door handlers don't look like that noose. He said, even growing up, the door holder looked like a regular rope uh, holding on to that door. 
And he even said no other garage had the same type of style of the road holding up the door to, as a door, use, utilize as a door holder. So my thing it is, it is a hate crime, and but based upon the statues or based upon the logistics you have told us, Dion, they may not hold upon it. But my most biggest issue is it's been there for over a year. So I think the culture kind of accepted and kind of brought it forward and nobody paid attention. That's my theory. That's my, that's how I feel about that situation. All right. So we know that Phil says it's the news. Um, let us go on. Calvin, what, what are you thinking about this? I'm thinking it was a very crafty way to have a hate crime. Um, because what, what we're saying is because of the time, I think it was around October, it could have been, you know, it's, it's definitely within that August to October line that that was, they said, mm, the quotations that it was, that it was put up there. And it looks nothing like a door handle or, or garage, the way they, anybody else has the garage openers down at the garages. So that was a red flag there. But when you think about it, to have that there in the open, period, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to raise controversy and you're trying to be hateful because if anything, you know, Wallace is going to see it, you know, whether it was his garage initially or not, it was something that was shown in the open to show hate and to, sh and to show uh, discrimination and show racism at its core. So I, I know whether, it, you know, he had it initially and it was put there in his garage is not really that relevant to me. It would be more relevant, of, of course, when you talk about hate crime for the definition but the fact that he was exposed to it and he could see it and everybody can see it around them that walk past the garages uh, said enough for me. It's talked about the, co the culture of NASCAR. So I think that's something that, you know, we got to, you know, kind of look into also. Absolutely. And, and I think I, like, I struggle with, with, coming to my conclusion and just for perspective like usually when i determine things like this like i'm looking like strictly from a legal standpoint like if this went to court what are the elements i would have to prove um you know based on the statute but i do agree that it was very crafty i think what is interesting too is if this was there since october or september of 2019 i felt like it would have been noticeable even then right because we all know what a noose looks like it's not like it's it's something that camouflages into a garage door or camouflages into a car park like we know what it looks like so it, it is quite interesting to me that no one noticed this um before and Calvin you brought up a pretty powerful point even if it wasn't Bubba's garage they know that he is the one African-American driver and that he would be around any of the garages even if it isn't his so i i do think that's a substantial um point that you brought out evan how do you feel i feel like it's hard to find like you're saying it's hard to define as a hate crime from a legal standpoint but it's like you ever heard the statement before white explaining when yeah. you talk about a racial experience you've had 
but a white person comes behind you and finds another definition. Say, well, couldn't it be, well, couldn't it really be about this? Right. I think the reality is that with this issue, you know, as a hate crime, it would be hard to prove. Like most racism is hard to mm-hmm. prove. But the reality is it was, as Kelvin said, a very crafty way <laughs> to send a message. Because the reality is, uh, I, work, I work in church, I'm a pastor. I know how churches are. Oftentimes, even when decisions are made, there are a small number of people who don't like it. But because they've been, they, they know they can't say it in the large populace, they find ways to send messages silently through other means. And so people are people no matter where you go, sports or whatever. And there are people who don't like it. There are organizations that are making statements just because it's the popular thing to do. Let me tell you something. Ain't nothing changed. I hear a lot of people talking about things are getting better. You know, this is really going to bring change. White people who are racist are still white people who are racist. You can take down their statues. You can do all that other stuff. But we still have a race issue in America. And, and, and it was an intentional message to scare Bubba Wallace and tell him, remind him of his place. Because let's think about this. He is, is he the only African-American? uh, He's the only African-American person in this whole sport. Mm -hmm. They probably don't want him there in the first place. They like their their races, the way they are. And I mean that in both ways. (laughs) (laughs) They like to have a one place where they are the best. They like to have one space where, where we don't come. And so, you know, Sure, it's not a hate crime because he can't prove it as a verifiable, verifiable hate crime. Right. But it was an intentional message that lets us know this ain't changing. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, let me just be clear. I don't take FBI's investigations on cases surrounding race very seriously and and i'll just keep it real so the basis for my assessment was strictly from a legal standpoint i i cannot trust the fbi conducting a thorough investigation on that this is the fastest investigation i have ever heard of in my life i believe they ever i believe they came to a conclusion within three or four days like come on man so just want to put that out there So we have spoken about NASCAR and Bubba Wallace, and it's clear to see that the hanging news perpetuates clear ideas of racism and discrimination embedded in the arena of sports. We don't need an investigation to see that. Let us now shift our attention to the conversation and discuss whether allowing transgender individuals to compete against women is a form of discrimination. There are two transgender athletes at the center of a very heated debate. The question of who is a woman in sports? And the statute um, that this case is going to turn on um, is Title IX. It is a federal law. And essentially what it does is it bars discrimination on the basis of sex in educational programs receiving federal funding. The argument to ban athletes born as males from competing against women is that it denies female athletes opportunities and fails to accommodate physical differences between the sexes. 
the Department of Education and the Department of Justice files statements um, in support of that position. The argument to allow transgender individuals to compete against women is an argument of inclusiveness. The crux of the argument is that we should allow students to compete based on what gender they identify as with no regard to biology. The Obama administration issued a guidance and interpreted Title IX to include transgender student athletes in its protection, making it a violation to treat transgender students differently based on their sex assigned at birth. 23 states opposed this stance and sued the Obama administration as a result. A federal judge blocked Obama's guidance, and when 45 came into office, the Department of Education rescinded the guidance and settled the lawsuits. This means that we don't have a clearly delineated position on this issue at this time. This brings us to our discussion today. And so we're going to start this conversation with Evan. Who gets to decide who is a woman in sports? That is a fascinating question. Um, I think that, <clears throat> hmm, I think one, I think about, there's so many things that kind of run through my mind that's hard to even answer this question, but I think about testing, right? They, um, there was a racer, what was the racer's, the runner's name, who they tested her and they said she was not qualified to because they found too much testosterone in her body. And this was a female. Yes, I can't, let me see if I can figure that out. And here falls the issue. We penalize athletes now for having substances in their body that give them an unfair competitive advantage. People put an asterisk by Barry Bonds' accomplishments because he said he's using steroids. Um, you know, Mark McGuire came under scrutiny and um, the, the, the picture for the Yankees, what's that man saying? The picture for the Yankees, big guy. Um, CC Sabathia? No, no, no. He's no longer pitching. He's, he's Wells, a, Wells. I can't remember his name, but no, it's not Wells. I can't remember his name. Like he's a Hall of Fame. He was with those championship wars. Roger Clemens. Roger Clemens. There we go. Roger yes. Clemens. Mm -hmm. No, they came under scrutiny for having substances in their body that gave them an unfair advantage. From a competitive standpoint, um, as a from a from a competitive standpoint, um, it to me it doesn't seem fair to have uh, transgender women compete in the same sport as women who are cisgendered female to the extent that it's a unfair competitive advantage. From a legal standpoint, from a civil rights standpoint, they have the right, if they want to, to see, to, to, if they feel as if they're women, although biologically they, they were born male, they have that right, they should be treated fairly. You know, I'm, I'm not speaking on that, but from a competitive standpoint, from a comp competition solely, it is an unfair advantage if, you say someone who has um, 
injections or chemicals in their body that gives them an unfair competitive advantage can't compete or are disqualified, but then have them compete. I mean, even I've seen in UFC, UFC, I'm not going to say in the actual sport, but in the, not in the professional sport, but I've seen cases where, excuse me, where transgender women beat the mess in a, in a brawl out of a woman because although they feel that way and they believe they're a woman, biologically, they still have what men have. And it's the equivalent of me beating my wife, which I don't do. So let's get that clear. I don't beat my wife, but it is it's the it is the the same pretty much the same thing. So it's, it's that up. thank you for that clarification on um, the spousal abuse. I, I, <laughs> I love you. I love you. <laughs> okay. Um, the name of the runner was um, it is Casters Semenya. Um, Evan, that you were referring to, who was um, barred from competing based on the level of testosterone in her body. Philip, what do you think about this? You see, uh, in my stance, I agree with everything that Evan said, uh, but my thing is this, and I have a daughter, and I have three girls, you know, we all know, and my daughter plays high school basketball, and my youngest one is going to try out this year for middle school. And I would hate to see, and my daughter do play with boys. Um, that's all she trains with. But I see the difference. I would hate to see that gender boy who has transitioned to a female who's 6'9", right, guarding my daughter. And generally, women basketball is more aggressive transitional girl, excuse me, transitional girl, um, bulldoze my daughter right into the wall and see that that's fair. Um, I think overall, the best thing is to do is a level, testosterone level. And if that level is considered too great and too much of a competitive advantage, then I think they should have a league for themselves where it's fair. See, sports is supposed to be everyone on equal ground have that ability to compete, compete based upon their natural talents. Do you bar them? No, you don't bar them, but you find a level where it's everyone can accept. Let's say, for instance, the level is considered five. If you take a test, five is equal, then everyone knows, okay, this is what we're going to do. And therefore, everyone have a, a good, you know, good competition. Like the wrestling, I've seen the wrestling and the trans track and meets in different countries. And, and, and they are... I mean, unbeatable based upon their strength and so forth. Like the past said, it's like, you know, a, a, a stronger, more powerful person overtaking the younger, weaker person, it looks like to me. So I would, I would like to see my daughter in that competition where, where someone who truly have an advantage and where, the, you know, meeting, no one is in a meeting. So if everyone could agree upon the level and everything, fine unless we have to career upon that level, I, I think is a disadvantage, just like taking a drug or, or doping and so forth. So that's why I think I'm thinking. So Phil, let me just follow up on something you said, because it, it sounds like to you, and that's actually one of the conversations that's going on surrounding this, 
that you would like some kind of testing to make a determination as to test testosterone levels in the competitor, do you agree that there should be testing on estrogen levels to make sure that it is really an even playing field or are you just satisfied with testosterone being tested? I think estrogen, what is the level, what, what do they generally test? They do is estrogen and testosterone, right? To compare if a transition to a girl or transitional to a boy, right? I'm not. I think they, um, they test, okay, so just basic, super basic biology. Yeah. Um, all women, all, everyone is created with testosterone and estrogen. Correct. Male and female. Males have a higher level of testosterone. Females have a higher level of estrogen. And so um, if you're looking at, I guess, in the instance of a transgender woman who was born a male, um, I guess you'll be looking at the rates of testosterone within her body versus the rate of testosterone just of a natural born woman. And so I guess I wanted you to clarify if you thought testing for testosterone was enough or whether we should have it on both sides and test for estrogen levels to make sure that they are on the same playing field. I would say I would test to both that way that we are in a play, playing field and we have a base level where everyone could agree or pass. Wherefore, we would know, like for my daughter, okay, hey, this is what they agree upon and everybody knows and we know what we're getting into and everyone is prepared, you know. So I think both, both ways. Okay. Yeah, and, and that, that's actually one of the things that is of discussion is like how do we essentially level the playing field um i guess without prohibiting people from participating um kelvin what are your thoughts yeah my thoughts my thoughts um i don't know if i want to be politically correct or just 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 be me um would you ask the question who gets to decide i think god has already decided i think biology has already decided um I just feel as though there's no way you can really make it equal. You know, we talk about equality and this is a whole equality push. Um, but if, if you want to push equality, this is the wrong way to do it. Uh, especially, you know, when we talk about hormone therapy and things like that, where athletes have to test at a certain level um, in order to participate. I know that's a rule right now in, um, in high school sports, but when you think about it, <laughs> you know, that doesn't, whether you balance out my hormones to a certain level, if, if I'm a guy and I, and I, and I drop them, um, I'm still 6'5". I still have longer arms than you. You know, it's certain things that nature, from just an anatomy standpoint, that I have an advantage over for a, a, a woman. Um, so I feel as though to never be equal. And I feel as though sometimes we just try to keep pushing, pushing and pushing um, for equality, but it's gonna, it's gonna really uh, hamper society at the end of the day because it's never be fair for a man and woman to compete um, uh, just because of nature itself. So, I mean, that's my, that's my initial thoughts. Fair enough, fair enough. So something, and this is just kind of breaking a paradigm. What if, 
And this is what if. What if we moved away from gendered sports? And here's what I mean. What if we made the ability to play solely based about skill level as opposed to making it about, okay, females play here, men play here. What if the conversation then became, let's break this paradigm of male, female, and we say the best players will play. So if a girl can play with boys and she's good enough to play, we'll let her play. And if a guy was good enough, <laughs> if a guy couldn't make varsity, couldn't make JV and end up playing with a, a lower league, and the, he played maybe on a lower league. What it, I think if, I think inevitably this is going to go through. But I think with the inevitability of it going through, you have to make it about comp ability to compete as opposed to making it about gender. There are a whole bunch of nuances that get added to that, right? It becomes locker room space, becomes all those other things that you have to really think all the way through, right? Mm -hmm. But I think what's going to ultimately maybe happen is because it looks like we're moving towards in society, we're moving towards the removal of gender, whether I agree with it or not. That's what it looks like we're, we're moving towards. The removal of, of gendered positions. Because from a sociological standpoint, when they talk about gender, they don't talk about gender from a biology, they don't talk about from a theology, they don't talk about from an anthropology. They talk mm -hmm. about gender from a social construction. Right. What a man is supposed to be, what a woman is supposed to be. So what do you guys think about sports not assigned by gender, but a, assigned, assigned based upon skill? Well, I'll say this. I, I think you, you start getting into spaces where it becomes a very slippery slope. And the reason why I say that is because that is completely negating right the biological makeup of boys and girls men and women right so so e even if you're like well you know if you have the tenacity as a woman you work hard enough you can beat the guys or you can be at, at the top of football or basketball it, it is still not accounting for our anatomies which are structured differently it is not accounting for strengths that um, males may have that women do not have. Men, generally speaking, um, are more, they are stronger up top. They just have more strength, right? And women are generally weaker up top. Our legs are generally pretty strong, but we don't have upper body strength, which comes natural for a lot of males. I have a little brother. My little brother is nine years old. He already has, and he doesn't ask, I mean, he's a nine-year-old boy. He already has the cuts. His chest is cut. His arms are formed. And we're talking about a nine-year-old boy who plays no sports and who's not exercising. So I, I feel like the argument becomes difficult when you're not accounting for genetic differences, right? Um, that's an argument that socially, in my opinion, you just can't ignore. Um, you absolutely cannot ignore. Um, so, and then, then the question becomes, because then you'll have some males, right, 
that can compete at a male level, but they're like, you know what? I want the fluidity to compete at the female level because I'll be at the top of the females game. Like maybe I'm not the best with my male counterparts, but if I'm allowed to compete with females, maybe I'll be at the top of that. And then the question becomes, well, is, is it structured in a way that is equal to everyone, male and female? And I think that's the problem we will have. Definitely, definitely great points, Dion. Um, I really appreciate sports because there's an agenda being pushed for um, whether it be a genderless society, what have you. Uh, and sports shows the difference, uh, if anything. It shows the difference, whether it's – and also the military, uh, to a certain extent, shows the difference between uh, men and, and, we, and women. And I think uh, what you're talking about, Evan, as far as um, – it's just solely being about, about competition, it will never happen. Because as the I was talking about, you will have the males dominating all the sports, right? And then you will just have what you had today, like a civil rights issue <laughs> where you should, where you have to have people, a certain amount of females, no matter what. That still doesn't attack the issue, you know? The issue is whether, um, is it fair for these, for these people who are born, these individuals who are born um, males or females to compete in the opposite gender as they grow up. Um, I think sports, like I said, is the only thing or one of the only things that show clearly that there has to be a line drawn, that everything can't just be genderless and everything can't just be, um, we're just people, humans just operating. So I, I mean, far as what you said, far as the competition, if you do that, it'd be a worse problem. So I don't think anybody will, 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 will want to go that route because, like Dion was saying, you have guys that couldn't cut cut it on varsity. They say, okay, well, you know, I'm feeling like a woman today. Um, you know, and, and, you know, that might be – some people might take, you know, take that the wrong way from me saying that, but that's the truth. We live in a society where people are going to try to get advantages at the end of the day. So a clear advantage, if I wanted to go to college and, and, uh, and, I, and college is expensive, you know, and I just say, okay, well, uh, I would like to get a scholarship. Or you got those parents that may push push their kids a certain way, maybe in elementary, maybe in middle school. They push them towards uh, identifying with a different sex because they know they might dominate eventually in life. So um, I just feel like uh, sports, you know, it's a great thing because now it, it, it allows when this conversation goes to this area, it shows the differences and why there's differences in males and females, just, just in general. And just to add on that, uh, I agree with the sentiments. It will be more of an issue because I know, for instance, um, when I train, you know, the boys at the church for basketball, they always tell me it's like the, the training, it's only like 12 to 15 spots and they have 70 boys on trying out for the team. So imagine those 70 boys and where the girls, it may be, depending upon the school, it may be 12. I know one year they had no JV and they asked my daughter, hey, could you come play? Because he played in middle school and that was her freshman year. And they happened to just make that amount. So yeah, I could see a boy saying, hey, there's 70 here. We can't make it there. Let's go over here. And then what happened is that the, the equity for the girls about ability to play, it's it's, it's run out, so they don't have no time, no ability or to showcase their skills. 
So it is a touchy issue in a sense. You want everyone to have the opportunity, but at all costs, you want it to be fair. You know, there's stories where, where I've coached and I haven't seen a kid all season play in the league and all of a sudden in the playoff, this big kid who, you know, this big, huge boy who's, you know, they are gross spurs, but I haven't seen you all league, but you want to come play now during the playoff? You know, and parents are upset. They don't want to play in the league no more because they've seen cheating and so forth. So I could feel, and, you know, I, I would be very upset. My daughter all season playing well and, and she's up for a scholarship. But guess what? Somebody else who we haven't seen or have an unfair advantage, take that from her or from any kid. You just want it to be fair. You know, uh, they say sports supposed to be the uh, meritocracy, meaning all equally, your skill level, your ability, or natural across the board. Even when I remember I played football and in high school, not high school, for out league, and they had a weight system. You have to meet a certain weight. If you was over the weight, it was deemed unfair, and you'll be disqualified. And ages, and, and we see in that softball and baseball, they have um, make sure you have the right age and the documents. They do want to make sure it's a fair, fair system. And we even see system, and to wrap it up, systems where, where you, where parents will actually have their kid left back <laughs> just to play a sport, a year, extra year, where they could dominate that age range, where a normal 12-year-old, he may be 13, and then, you know, 13 years old competing with 12-year-olds. And parents, you know, would do anything just to get, just to get that uh, advantage. So we don't want that to happen. We want it to be fair as possible. Everyone knows the rules where we know, hey, okay, this is it. Can my child compete in that level? And then the parent and the child say, you know what? They cannot because it'll be, we don't feel or they make that decision. But as long as they have a rules in place where everyone agree upon it and move forward. And that's what, that's what I'm thinking. We're talking about Joanna, man. I know we all saw that movie back in was yeah. it, 2000. We just talking about Juwan man all over again. Like, dude, look at this. And I know we got to transition to roll out, but you know, there's some guys that didn't cut, cut the uh, D1 level. They can go into the WNBA and turn into a hall of famer. I mean, that's just not fair, you know? And when I was, when I was playing, you know, playing, you know, playing ball growing up, AAU, I look at a woman's AAU game and a men's AAU game. Just high school we're talking about. You know, we go to the layup lines. Everybody in the layup line is dunking um, on one team. Then you look at the girls' layup line, you, you, you might have one person dunking on the whole coast. You know what I'm saying? So it's like that's just not fair for them to be able to even, you know, it's not fair for the females, you know. So I wouldn't even want to have females put in that position. And then as a man too, you know, I wouldn't want to play with a woman um, just because I respect the woman's body. I respect her, you know, you know, you know, I'm naturally stronger. So I wouldn't want to try to, you know, dominate a woman. I, I wouldn't feel right. So I wouldn't even want to play in that game because I'll be playing different. I wouldn't be playing the same that I normally would play because I'll be sensitive to the body types. Yeah, thank you guys for your perspectives. And I know this is going to be a hot button item, especially as this case um, makes its way to the justices of the Supreme Court. Um, I would love our listeners to provide their opinions and perspectives um, on this issue. Um, this is an issue that could potentially affect sports as we know it um, going forward. So 
make sure you comment, whether it's on our Facebook page, whether it's on Instagram, um, just let us know what side of the coin you fall on. Um, thank you guys for tuning in and until next time. Thank you.